1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this here program, there is news out of the gate today. No, not about the Supreme Court. That hadn't come yet. For the first time in 150 years... The Republican Party has done something, and it is a harbinger of doom for the Democrats in November. Uh, Myra Flores flipped uh, the 34th Congressional District of Texas. Now, that obviously has not for 150 years been the 34th Congressional District, but the land down there, Cameron County, Texas, is the heart of that district. For 150 years, it has been a Democratic stronghold. Uh, it is the second largest Hispanic district in the country. Now, this is the second time in a hundred years the GOP has managed to flip a Rio Grande Valley uh, Democratic stronghold. The first time they did it was 2010. So the trend line predated Donald Trump, and it's happening now even without Donald Trump on the ballot. But this particular part of Texas, Cameron County, uh, South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley has for 150 years since the Civil War voted Democrat. Not anymore. Hillary Clinton won Cameron County, Texas with 33% of the vote in 2016. Joe Biden won it in twenty twenty with thirteen percent of the vote. Uh, Myra Flores has won it with seven percent of the vote. Now, for you Democrats, I'm talking about the Latinixes. and that's part of your problem. Uh, you're having with Latino, Hispanic voters Uh, in Texas, typically they more often than not say Hispanic, Uh, conservatives tend to say Hispanic outside of Southern California, New York, Hispanic tends to be more common, even within the Hispanic Latino community than Latino. Uh, But this is actually a very, very big deal. Now there are some caveats here. You need to know, first of all, this is a special election. If you're a longtime listener to this program, if you've ever heard me give a speech about these sorts of things or seen me on TV even uh, predating me coming on radio, I am a big believer in telling people special elections don't mean a whole lot unless you can aggregate a series of special elections together. In this case, actually you can aggregate a series of special elections together. The Republicans have been flipping a number of districts. Now, turnout's always lower in a special election. Myra Flores will become the Congresswoman, but she will have to defend this district again in November when more voters show up to vote. We'll see if she can hold on. The Democrats, though, spent money. It would be one thing if the Democrats said, ah, we're gonna save our firepower for November, but the Democrats actually poured money into the race to try to save the district. Now, the reason they did it is because they've only got about a five-seat majority in the House of Representatives. And uh, it's not looking good for the Democrats there. There aren't enough special elections between now and November to flip the House. And that's actually good for the GOP because if uh, Kevin McCarthy suddenly found himself Speaker before the election, the Democrats would have a villain. But they don't have a villain now, they have themselves. And they're blaming Hispanic voters. Notably, Myra Flores will be the first member of Congress to be a native of Mexico. She was born in Mexico came to this country as a child. You're not going to hear that from the cultural elite. You're not going to hear that from a lot of media outlets. They would play it up as big as they could if Myra Flores was a Democrat, but because she's a Republican, they will downplay that she will be the first member of Congress to be native-born Mexican. In 150 years, Republicans have not won this part of Texas. Not only have they won it, they did so with Hispanic voters. Not only did they win it with Hispanic voters, they did it without Donald Trump on the ballot. Democrats have been consoling themselves that this was a uniquely Donald Trump phenomenon because they like uh, Hispanic voters who have come to this country. They like those strongman, brash politicians like they have in Central and South America. And Well, he's not on the ballot. They're not going to be able to do it. They did it. They did it. But there's more to this that you need to understand. There is in all the polling, a real shift in Hispanic vote preference towards the GOP. This district is 84.5% Hispanic. It's the second largest Hispanic population uh, district in the country. It went for Hillary Clinton by 33%, Joe Biden by 13%, Myra Flores going to win it by between 5 and 7% when the total vote is cast. These voters are upset about the border issue. Myra Flores' husband is a Border Patrol agent. She campaigned on that issue. She campaigned on border security. She is pro-life. And she's the first Republican to win this part of Texas in 150 years. That's big history for Myra Flores and for the GOP. Democrats will fall back on it's a special election. The vote turnout was low. uh, The Democratic candidate who lost is already out attacking the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee saying they didn't do enough. They poured money in. They just didn't pour in a ton of money. And they got problems, y'all. The Democrats, I think, are finally starting to realize they have problems. Joe Biden is out today demanding the oil companies produce more oil. Now, he's been telling them for a couple of years, since 2020, to stop producing oil, to get away from it. Today, he's telling them they need to produce as much as possible. It's not really possible for them to immediately ramp up production. It's possible for them to do some things to help get the future price of oil down. But, I mean, it's it's a problem. And, you know, this is one of those things where... Even on television, I mean, he had Don Lemon, for example, on CNN last night. I didn't get the audio because it was kind of rambling and long, and nobody wants to hear Don. But even he was starting to cast doubts on Joe Biden's ability to withstand this and Joe Biden's ability to uh, to, to move forward. Here, here's uh, the, the, Scott Jennings from the, the Don Lemon panel on this. This Texas 34, the, the district is run under the old lines so Biden won this by four. Republicans are going to win it tonight. And then in the fall, I think it's been redrawing into like a like a Democrat plus 15. So it will probably go Democrat in the fall. However, 84% Hispanic uh, population in that district. Uh, Hillary Clinton won this district huge. Barack Obama won this district huge. Uh, Biden, it was a narrow victory for him. You can see in, in terms of like larger macro political issues right now going on in this country, to me tonight, Texas 34 the movement of Hispanic voters towards the Republican Party in that part of Texas, to me, is, is one of the biggest stories of the night. I know it's not quite final yet, but it's a big deal. It is a big deal.
0: Here's Van Jones. Listen to Van Jones from CNN. I think everybody is looking very closely now. Uh, I, uh, when he does, when Biden does well, he does really well. That gun speech he gave, he was perfect. It was, it was powerful. When he does badly, when he stumbles, you get nervous and you wonder, is it just a stutter? Is he tired or something else there? And so i think that people are just looking i mean honestly i think i think a lot of democrats are like if if this guy's ready to go we're behind him but if he's not ready to go he should let us know i think that's what's going on and a little more this is uh harriet on cnn and how does president biden's performance rate awful i mean i I knew that was the answer (laughs) the answer is awful i mean you know i'll compare it to carter at this point his presidency right look at the disapproval rating joe biden has on inflation right now it's over 70 percent carter Carter was not even there at this point in mid-1978. When you're doing worse than Jimmy Carter's doing in the minds of Americans on inflation, you know that they're holding you responsible for the conditions that are currently on the ground that are hurting Americans in their pocketbooks.
1: Yep, and uh, Jim Van from Axios. His rating's only going further down as the midterms approach. What's the latest reporting you guys have about how worried Democrats are that, the lo- that Biden may be a drag on the party come November? I mean, they're super duper worried, right? You don't want the president of your party sitting at 40%
0: or slightly below 40%. You look at the numbers with independents, you swing voters, uh, often around 30%, sometimes lower. That's terrible. Like, there's no other way uh, to cut it in Democrats. uh, Know that.
1: Ooh, this is a problem. This is a problem for the Democrats. And it's a big warning sign for what's coming. Now, what else is coming? Well, in South Carolina, Nancy Mace held off uh, her challenger. Her challenger uh, had picked off uh, Mark Sanford, uh, when, in 2018 uh, as a pro-Trump Republican, picked off Mark Sanford and then lost to Joe Cunningham south carolina congressman who served a term until nancy mace beat him and then the trump candidate came back with donald trump's full support against nancy mace who wasn't sufficiently loyal to trump and lost to nancy mace nancy mace by the way is a great congresswoman Uh, she is big on civil asset forfeiture she's against the government's use of civil asset forfeiture you kind of want someone like that in congress she won tom rice Republican from uh, up the road to the Myrtle Beach area. He lost. Nancy Mace represents the the, um, low country in South Carolina. He's the upstate coastal congressman, Tom Rice. He lost uh, uh, to soon-to-be congressman Fry. Rice voted against certification of the election, but then voted to impeach Donald Trump. Donald Trump swore to beat him and has been successful. He gets credit there. In Nevada, Adam Laxalt will be the Republican nominee and the next senator from Nevada. Adam Laxalt had been the attorney general in Nevada. He's highly popular. He ran for governor four years ago in a terrible year, uh, 2018, for the Republicans. He lost, but not by much. He's very well liked in Nevada by independent uh, voters in addition to Republicans. He's a friend of mine, actually. He was Ron DeSantis' roommate in the Navy. Uh, They get along well, and Laxalt's going to be the next U.S. senator. That one's giving Democrats heartburn. They actually don't think they can beat Laxalt. What's giving Democrats some relief is that in Pennsylvania, the latest polling out of Pennsylvania, has Dr. Oz performed. Excuse me. Performing terribly against the Democratic candidate there, Fetterman, who's not even on the campaign trail due to a stroke, is beating Doctor Oz in the polling because uh, people not only know Doctor Oz, they have a a very terrible view of him. Now Oz can consolidate Republicans' independence. This is doable for him. Uh, the Republican candidate there for governor, who's actually worse than Oz as a candidate, is doing better than people thought. He's only four points behind the Democrat. What's so notable here? Is Whether you're looking at Mark Kelly in Arizona or Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams in Georgia or Fetterman and, and uh, what's his name, the Democratic nominee in uh, Pennsylvania for governor, they're all in the mid-40s. They're about 10 points higher than Biden. So to the extent the Democrats are being punished, they're not being punished by voters as much as Biden is being punished, but they're still being punished. It's hard to see If Joe Biden is at 40 or below, how these Democrats get out of the 40s? Take Georgia, for example. Uh, There's an opposition hit on Herschel Walker in Georgia that's starting to flood out. Herschel Walker has another child, another son, who doesn't get attention. He's supposedly his secret son. The media phrasing is that Herschel Walker doesn't want you to know about him. He he preaches about how dad shouldn't abandon families, and he abandoned his son. That's the spin. His campaign says he's not abandoned. He's just not a public kid on the campaign trail. Uh, Nonetheless, it's the Democrats' hit on Herschel Walker. I don't know that this stuff hurts Walker. Warnock is a very good candidate with really good ads, uh, regardless of where you stand in politics. They may annoy you because they're so cloyingly, sugaringly positive, but Raphael Warnock has a brilliant ad strategy and a brilliant ad team, and he can't get out of the mid-40s. Brian Kemp is already at 50% over Stacey Abrams in the latest polling in Georgia. It's hard to see if Brian Kemp gets to 55% that Herschel Walker doesn't get to 51%. It's really hard to see uh, that uh, Kemp is going to be the guy in Georgia with coattails, not Walker. Uh, Kemp outperformed Walker in the primary in Georgia as well. But when you've got a uh, Fetterman in, in Pennsylvania, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Warnock and Abrams in Georgia and all these other Democrats locked into the mid 40s with Biden in the low 40s, it suggests they have a ceiling that is tied to Biden and they do better than Biden. Voters don't punish them as much, but they want to change. Most interestingly, in Pennsylvania, though, the Democrat Fetterman is outpacing Dr. Oz. A majority of independent voters in Pennsylvania who have not yet made up their mind said that their vote is going to be for accountability of Joe Biden. That should signal doom to the Democrats. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example... Um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can, too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You could even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto crypto. You can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly... They've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's S O F I dot slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Finra Sipic. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Boy, did I stir up a hornet's nest yesterday. Didn't intend to, but I sure did. People are sensitive about these things. So I was talking yesterday about Airbnb and, and just as an aside, was talking about um an Airbnb out, I think in Washington state it is, that erected a granite marker so the people who stay at the house know they're on some indigenous tribes land than this tribe you've never heard of. And I just find the whole exercise of apologizing for being on indigenous tribal land um, ridiculous. uh, People racked with guilt over taking Indian land. I am thankful for Western civilization and the spread of Western civilization into the United States. And apparently... Some people took that as as I'm excusing the trail of tears and the like. I'm doing no such thing. You can't have these conversations anymore. The, the, The treatment of Native Americans was awful. But I'm glad Western civilization ultimately took the United States of America. And I'm not going to apologize for being on the land of some Indian tribe I know nothing about and can't pronounce. And if that makes me a cold-hearted person, I'm sorry. But the world I live in is the United States of America. I'm actually in, in Akmulgi Indian Territory. Okay. I'm not apologizing for it. Or putting a marker up, I'm sure they took the land from someone else. You know, it reminds me of the the American Indian tribe out west that's upset and wants some apology for Mount Rushmore. They actually want the land, the parkland that Mount Rushmore is on back. And someone pointed out that they actually uh, murdered all the inhabitants of the area and took that land from a different Indian tribe that they exterminated. So shouldn't we be apologizing to those people? And they kind of changed their tune. I just, this sort of, we've got to wring our hands and show our guilt and shame and apologize for the bad things that people did in the past. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Did bad things happen to Indians? Yes, absolutely. Terrible, awful things happened to slaves as well. Slavery was terrible Awful shame on us for having done that. But I live in the 21st century. My family immigrated to this country. We weren't involved with it. And I'm not going to apologize for the sins of people in the past. One of the great things about this country is you get a fresh start. And the people who are bogged down in, in, in historic tragedy and historic injustice and guilt and shame, God bless them for dwelling. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I, I would far rather uh, the, the, be with the colonists who came to this country than living in the teepees and, and the tents and the huts and, and the like uh, that the Indians had. I'm I'm sorry if that offends you. I'm sorry if it makes you mad. I acknowledge how awful treatment was in many cases, but I sure am glad for Western civilization. Hi there. It's Eric Erickson here. Really glad to have you with me today. Well... We got to dive in deep on this and I got to go back to the audio. I want to repeat some of the audio I played for you because I think it's important to get the proper context of what's going on now. You need to understand, for example, uh, that uh, Joe Biden is going after oil companies. And this has a lot to do with uh, a lot of the problems that John, uh, Joe Biden himself, complicit with John Kerry and others, have created. Before I get there, though, I, I, I gotta, I gotta play this audio. This is Cedric Richmond, who works for Joe Biden, who has a blame for inflation that is not Joe Biden. A very clever blame.
0: No, if you look at, uh, Jake, if you look at the president's three-pronged plan in the beginning, it was to pass the American Rescue Plan so we could get shots in arms, get schools back open, get the economy open and not shut down again, which all happened. And then it was to go do the bipartisan infrastructure bill so that we could finally start investing in American infrastructure, creating jobs right here in the United States, jobs that pay well. And then the third prong was to reduce those household costs, the cost of health care, the cost of elder care, the cost of child care, and continue to bring household costs down. And all of the economists said if we pass the last portion of it, it would do that. And so what you have is Republicans purposely obstructing it and keeping it from happening, then at the same time saying uh, inflation is high. And we know we have work to do there, but uh, the Republican opposition, just for the sake of opposition, to legislation that would bring household costs down.
1: Okay. So you get this? What he's saying is Republicans are to blame for inflation by not passing more of Joe Biden's big spinning agenda. Contradicts everybody in America, but that's his take on it. That's his take on it. He's being replaced, Cedric Richmond. He's moving over to the Democratic National Committee. That genius is leaving the White House to go be a strategic advisor to the DNC. You know who's going to replace him at the White House? Keisha Crimeway Bottoms of Atlanta, the former mayor. That's right. You heard me. Uh, Keisha Crimeway Bottoms, uh, the former mayor of Atlanta who left the mayoral seat of Atlanta, to go be a CNN contributor, she's a very nice lady who is clearly out of depth as a mayoral uh, candidate and as a mayor of a big city. She's going to go from uh, failing at that to being in a failing White House. Now, listen, I, I I'm, I think she's a, a nice person. I do. She's not a a a. I mean, these days everybody, if you disagree with them, you, you gotta find some way to decide that they're the enemy. She's done and said things I disagree with, including vilifying the police and caused a crime wave in the city of Atlanta. But um she's she's not a she's not a villain, but she's not good at her job. At least she wasn't good as mayor. She couldn't win reelection in the city of Atlanta. Keisha Lance Bottoms not being able to win re-election in the city of Atlanta should have been a red flag for the Biden. Remember, they vetted her for vice president and for an ambassadorial position. And she declined all of those things to stay mayor of Atlanta and then realized she would have lost re-election. And she still, to this day, dogmatically insists that that wasn't why she didn't run again, but that's why she didn't run again. She couldn't have gotten re-elected So she's going to go to the White House now as an advisor, as an office of public affairs, doing outreach, I guess, to the black community. But it was the black community of Atlanta that rejected her. And this isn't going to go over well with law enforcement, considering she's the one who threw law enforcement under the bus. Who advises the president on these sorts of decisions? I mean, at the end of the day, the buck stops with him and it's a problem. It's truly a problem, and this is part of Joe Biden's overall problem. Again, I want to play you this audio. This is Axios' Jim Van de uh, in an exchange about uh, the Democrats' problems with Biden. His ratings only going further down as the midterms approach. What's the latest reporting you guys have about how worried Democrats are that the Biden may be a drag on the party come November? I mean, they're super-duper worried, right? You don't want the president of your party sitting at 40% or
0: slightly below 40%. You look at the numbers with independents, you swing voters, uh, often around 30%, sometimes lower. That's terrible. Like, there's no other way uh, to cut it, and Democrats uh, know that.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The Democrats know they have a problem. All right, let, let's, let, let's stop dancing around the issue here. Joe Biden is too old. We all know this. The Democrats all know this. Let's get you back to Van Jones's comment
0: on CNN from last night. I think everybody is looking very closely now. Uh, I, uh, when, he does, when Biden does well, he does really well. That gun speech he gave, he was perfect. It was, it was powerful. When he does badly, when he stumbles, you get nervous. And you wonder, is it just a stutter? Is he tired or something else there? And so I think that people are just looking. I mean, honestly, I think I think a lot of Democrats are like, if, if this guy's ready to go, we're behind him. But if he's not ready to go, he should let us know. I think that's what's going yeah. on. Yep. Yep. Uh,
1: it, it's probably time for him to go. He, he is outperforming Jimmy Carter on the polling for how badly he sucks. Which is something. I mean, Jimmy Carter was a terrible president. He may be a very nice person, and I would actually dispute that, but um, he was presumed to be a very nice person out of his depth in the presidency. There's no question Joe Biden is out of his depth in the presidency, but Joe Biden has been in Washington for 50 years where he's neither learned anything nor nor remembered or forgotten anything. I mean, the man, he's like the Bourbons of France. They used to say they learned nothing and forgot nothing. Joe Biden hasn't learned a darn thing in 50 years in Washington. He came in with his mind made up and has conformed the entire world and twisted the world into how he sees the world. He hadn't learned anything, and he hadn't forgotten anything either. Well, actually, these days with his age, he's forgotten a lot. It's a problem. And that leads me to oil. That leads me to oil. I actually continue to be astonished at the number of Democrats who in the comments on my Instagram posts are furiously defensive about Joe Biden and oil, that it's not his fault. It's a global problem. Josh Barrow is not a Republican. Allow me to read you Josh Barrow. Biden pledged during the campaign to end oil and gas drilling leases on public land, and while he hasn't fully kept that promise, his administration imposed a moratorium on the leases and has significantly curtailed the volume of land being made available for that purpose. He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline that would have increased capacity of oil from Canada to the United States. He nominated Sarah Bloom Raskin to be the top bank regulator at the Fed, and Bloom Raskin is most famous for advocating using the Fed's tools to discourage U.S. financial institutions from financing fossil fuel extraction projects. Democrats have long sought to raise taxes on U.S. oil producers by excluding oil and gas production from the domestic production activities tax deduction, a Bush-era tax provision intended to encourage U.S. manufacturing. Some Democrats have pushed to prohibit fracking, the oil extraction technique that made the U.S. oil boom possible during the Obama administration. There is an obvious reason for the difference between the parties. Democrats want to reduce oil consumption as part of a climate change strategy, and they see restrictions on production and, in the case of the Keystone XL pipeline, importation as a tool for reducing consumption. That's not a Republican. That's Josh Barrow. The Democratic Party has been openly hostile to oil. Oil is a 20-year investment. When the president of the United States says he wants to put you out of business, you're not going to try to invest on a 20-year period because you don't think you're going to be in business for 20 years to be able to get a return on your investment. Right now, major oil producers, the reason they're bringing in their profits and doing shareholder dividends is they're trying to return money on investments and they're not making new investments because the Biden administration has blocked them from being able to do it. The Biden administration, despite all of their talk about excess leases, has put a moratorium on leasing on federal land. They blocked further exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. And you know, they've stopped oil companies from reopening refineries. I didn't learn that one until this morning. An oil executive from Houston who listens to my program says I needed to dig into this. Turns out there are a couple of oil refineries that were damaged by hurricanes on the Gulf Coast. They were shut down. It is cost prohibitive for them to be restarted, and the Biden administration will not release, reduce, or waive some of the regulatory hurdles to get them open again. And the oil companies have decided it's not worth the investment to get them back open. So, yes, we've reduced the number of refineries and the oil companies have no financial incentive to get them back open when the Biden administration won't expedite or lower costs to get them open and wants to shut them all down to begin with. There are so many things this administration could do separate from the external factors causing there to be high gas prices. And everyone who buys into a media narrative that there's nothing the Democrats can do are in fact buying into a false narrative perpetuated by the same people who don't want us to drill, who don't want us to expand production, and do not want us to get oil out of the ground because of the environment. John Kerry was asked about this. You know what he says? He says we absolutely should not expand oil production in the country regardless of the situation right now.
0: And energy security worry is driving a lot of the thoughts now about, oh, we need more drilling of gas. We need more drilling of this. We need to go back to coal. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. And we have to prevent a false narrative from entering into this or, again, uh, pun intended, we are cooked.
1: We absolutely don't need it. That's Joe Biden's climate change czar. And Joe Biden is listening to him. You know, I understand people's emotions. And I understand people get defensive. And I understand people think they have core knowledge because they listen to the news and they find themselves to be reasonably well-informed and educated. So when I tell them that, yes, there are problems around the world that the president can't impact, but actually there are a lot of things the president can impact to lower gas prices. They're not hearing it on the news. They're just hearing it from me. And they think that, well, um, I, I, I think he's probably making it up. There's no difference between the people who won't believe me on the oil issue and the people who won't believe me on the stolen election stuff because I'm the only guy pointing out to them the election wasn't stolen. It's the exact same mindset of people uh, who believe that because I'm saying it and no one else in their circle that they listen to is, I must be the one wrong, as opposed to they're hearing from sources who don't want to tell them the full truth. The same with those people who listen to the nightly news who decide there's no way there's anything the president can do because on the nightly news they tell me all the time, there's nothing the president can do. The very same people who do the nightly news have bought into the climate change narrative, and they do not want to tell you the news of the things the president can do. The president can waive regulations. The president can lower costs. The president can expand production. The president can make steel available. The president can waive tariffs. The president can open more federal land. The president can open the Gulf of Mexico. The president can open Anwar. The president can approve the Keystone XL pipeline. The president can push for bank financing of fossil fuel programs. And the president can restructure the oil company's uh, targeted incentives so that they understand they will get their money back in 20 years on the investments they make. Now he's not going to come after them. In short, the president of the United States can say the war on fossil fuel is over. Turns out it's something we need. Please drill, baby, drill, and I will waive all the regulations necessary to get you going. But he won't, and the media won't tell you about that. And so you've concluded, based on a media that is already hostile to fossil fuels, that they must be telling you the full story when they're not. But I am. Now, one of the companies out there that is helping. Push the conservative message and give you the truth on this stuff. Is Patriot Mobile now? Why would they do that? They're a phone company. Why would they push a conservative message and, and advance stuff and knowledge about uh, the Second Amendment, um, oil production, the pro life cause, the veterans and first responders issues, and conservative candidates? It's actually how they were designed and how they were built. Because progressives have done this. There's a progressive cell phone carrier that gives a portion of their profits to the progressive movement. And conservatives realize, you know, they're they're actually funding a lot of progressives. We need to do that on our side. It's a great way for comp- conservatives to compound their dollar, too, within the conservative movement. So you go to Patriot Mobile, you're not getting inferior service because they use the same cell towers everybody else uses. But what you do do is you know you're partnering with a company that shares your values and puts their money where their mouth is in terms of fighting for your values. So you go to patriotmobile.com Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, and you get free activation with my name. You get great service. You get great discounts. You can bring your phone number over, get a new phone number for them. They're great people. Good service. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I will get to phone calls um, out of the gate when we come back. Uh, Right now, i got to tell you this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you wherever you are in the nation. You go to their website, firstlibertyga.com, and you think, ah, they're in Georgia. That's true, but they can help you in all 50 states, and they want to. They've been doing this since the 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses, and if you want to be a big deal and you need big loans, $750,000 or more, you're buying a building, building a building. They're who you need to reach out to, FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Spend a few minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. Uh, David Yamane at The Reload, TheReload.com, has an interesting analysis piece. Our uh, guns are normal, and normal people use guns. He writes, uh, I'm a sociologist who's been studying American gun culture for the past decade. My approach to the topic differs considerably from most of my gun studies colleagues. Rather than focusing on crime, injury, and death with firearms, my work is based on the proposition that guns are normal and normal people use guns. This is not an article of faith or belief statement for me. Rather, it is based on my empirical observations of guns and gun owners. When I say guns are normal and normal people use guns, I meet it in two, two senses. First, guns and gun ownership are common, widespread, and typical. Second, guns and gun ownership are not inherently associated with deviants or abnormalities. The normality of guns runs deep in American history. The use of projectile weapons is behaviorally normal for Homo sapiens as a species. Today's widely owned civilian firearms are part of an unbroken thread of what Randy Mayan called the human weapon relationship, stretching back to rocks in the uniquely evolved hands of our prehistoric ancestors. It's a fascinating read at TheReload.com, and and largely the point is uh, the media, because so many members of the media, much like they don't want to tell you about the the truth of the oil situation because they're so into climate change, they're so against guns, they want to paint everyone who is a gun owner as fringy. Actually... There are more guns in this country than people and many more gun owners now than there were just three years ago, in large part because of the Democrats' failures to contain crime. Uh, an assault weapons ban polls lower now, according to Gallup, than it ever has. Only about 50% of Americans want an assault weapons ban, the, the spooky gun ban, the AR ban. Uh, when it was passed in the 90s, 70 to 80% of people supported it. Now only 50% do. Why the decline? Because more and more people are gun owners and they realize a lot of the rhetoric in the media is overstated and overheated and just plain wrong. The more you're familiar with something, the more you know it yourself. Like I I, I got uh, some friends of mine run a company in Atlanta called uh, True Precision. They make some of the coolest guns around and I've gotten some guns from them. And I mean, I just, I've, I've got a bunch of guns. And uh, man, y'all should check out True Precision. This is not an ad. I just love them. Uh, Trueprecision.com, I think is the website. But uh, guns are part of life in my house these days. And they are for tons of Americans, except in the media. And so they can't relate. And they think it's fringe when actually a majority of Americans now own guns.